Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Fender, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Wednesday, October the 27th, and I've heard this line more often this week, is Happy Reformation Week. We look to October 31st as the day that Martin Luther posted the 95 Thesis in 1517 and reminded that that was grounded and founded and, and continues on today because of the grace and the free grace of our Lord Jesus, which is what we celebrate Reformation Day, otherwise known as Halloween. So Happy Reformation Week. But today we gather around the inspired and true word of God and put on our Christ goggles as we continue our study of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We were hit hard in chapter 1. To be honest, as you as you study Ecclesiastes, you're going to get hit hard. And because Solomon reflects at the end of his life and he proclaims the truth, and the truth is not always exactly what we want. But without the Lord, what's the point? And the truth is, that we do have the Lord, we do have Christ, we do have salvation, we do have this forgiveness, we do receive all of these gifts, but we have to be reminded both law and gospel, so enjoy the ride today. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. For more information of their great work around the world, visit lhfmissions.org, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word, we welcome uh, Pastor Kevin Yoakum of Christ the King Lutheran Church in Riverview, Florida. Pastor Yoakum, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Well, thank you very much. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Absolutely. That is well Excellent. and clear. We were worried there for a little bit. But Pastor, this is our first time together on Thy Strong Word. You and I have talked quite a bit over the, well, almost a whole year. and But this is our first time. So can you spend a few minutes introducing yourself and the work of the saints at Christ the King? Sure. Thank you. Uh, well, I grew up in uh, Missouri in uh, Liberty, which is the in the Kansas City area. Uh, but I've been living here in Florida, in Tampa Bay, for the last uh, 18 years, serving Christ the King. I'm, uh, my wife is Kathy, a lovely wife, and we've been married for 25 years. And uh, we've got a beautiful daughter who's uh, in eighth grade now. Uh, which is kind of funny that I'm here at uh, one Lutheran church in the Tampa area, and my wife works at a Lutheran school in Tampa, and my daughter goes to a third Lutheran school uh, which is closer in one of the suburbs. So we're just slowly trying to take over the Tampa circuit. <laughs> Absolutely, you are. Yeah, what, what school does your, um, does your wife work at, and what school does your daughter go to? Sure. Um, my wife works at Holy Trinity Lutheran School in uh, Tampa, and my daughter uh, attends Emmanuel Lutheran School in Brandon, Florida. Oh my, wonderful, wonderful. Well, and one of the, the realities for us here in Minnesota is this, this is the time of year we d are looking at Florida as a good place to live. You know, when it's 100 and something and, and all that, but this we don't think about that in the summer. We're too busy outdoors. But now is the time that we think of Florida. So, Pastor, tell us a little bit more about the saints at Christ the King. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Florida is just a lovely place. You can, if you want, you can wear shorts on Christmas Day. It's just <laughs> lovely. Uh, but the people here are, are really what it's about at Christ the King Lutheran. Um, this is uh, just a, a lovely group of people. Uh, they welcomed us uh, back in 2003, and they've 
uh, always been here. And, you know, the, the lockdown because of the COVID kind of uh, shook everything up. But I think, uh, you know, we really have done a, a wonderful uh, job of continuing to, you know, be here for word and sacrament and to be here for each other. Um, but maybe they don't know it, but they have really supported me uh, that we reach out to a local assisted living facility. Uh, I go there uh, every week for, uh, so I used to for Bible study, and now I go there every week for a chapel service. And that's been going on for 16 years itself. And so I've really benefited from their support uh, to be able to bring that ministry uh, to some of the seniors, you know, that are, are, are filling our state. It's, uh, they're a wonderful resource down here. That is great to hear, Pastor. And we also have another connection that we made. Uh, one time you messaged me is that we both served a field congregation in North St. Louis at Bethlehem Lutheran Church at uh, different right. times. And uh, you were, it, for, for our listeners, uh, we have a beloved congregation in North St. Louis that works in the deep heart of, of St. Louis. And it's a great place to be a field worker during seminary. We work with the congregation and Pastor Yoakum was there, I believe, in the mid-90s. Am I correct? Yes, yes. Yep. And I was there from 2002 to 2006. And they, many transitions. This is one of the original churches. Uh, I think 1849, it was founded in what was then the suburbs of St. Louis. And just wonderful ministry. Pastor Schmicky, I've had him on the program here. And just a wonderful experience. So uh, kindred spirits, I will say, as we are both <laughs> Bethlehem. Bethlehemites, how you call it? Bethlehemites? I'm not sure. Anyways. We'll go with um, that. It will go with that. So, Pastor, it is a joy to have you on this morning as we put on our Christ goggles. Can you begin our time in prayer? I'd love to. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray this day that you would bless all who hear your word this day, that in Christ we may grow in wisdom, in love, and in joy. We pray also for those who will not hear your word this day. We ask that you would send them faithful witnesses that they too may know of the love that you have for them in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions on our text or anything in Ecclesiastes, uh, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or give us a call. Yesterday we had a call from Daryl, had a wonderful question. So keep the calls coming in. It kind of keeps us on our toes and also makes for even a more dynamic time together. Give us a call, 314-821-0850. 314-821-0850. Now, Pastor, Pastor Yoakum, we get to chapter 2, and chapter 1 begins, and this is a theme that Dr. Bullhagen and his commentary, and also as we had Pastor Ketchelmeyer on for the overview, it really is a theme. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Um, and so, Pastor, that's kind of how we begin. Tell us how you want to start us off as we go from chapter 1 to chapter 2. Sure. As I see this, uh, Ecclesiastes is really trying to, you know, answer that. What's the point of life? And, and these answers really um, began for the the believer in Genesis in uh, chapters one through three. And you know, even before the fall, we have a, a pattern of life that God God gives us. You know, He He gives us this good life, and then we're affected by the fall into sin of Adam and Eve. So, uh, you know, Genesis 1 through 3 might sound a little bit like this. Uh, I am God. I made you, and I give you family, and I give you good and godly work, and this is a good life for you. And, and then after the fall, 
the Lord says, because of your rebellion and sin, I promise to send a Savior who will restore you and will save you from this. But now in this life, you still have a family and work to do and keep doing it. It will be tough because of sin, but it is a good life that I give you. And so hope in my Savior and get busy living with that family and with your work. That's how I see uh, life is put when we are with God. Uh, Now Ecclesiastes takes God out of the equation and and says, what is life like? And and he just continues, uh, especially at the beginning, to see life without God is a troublesome place. And so chapter 2 is kind of continuing that uh, almost that uh, revelation of his, you know, his findings about life. And so we'll get to see, you know, what is it to seek pleasure? What is it to have wisdom versus folly? And kind of his first round of, so what, what's the sum of all of this? I really like how you put that because it all comes back to Genesis 1 through 3, is that we see the simplicity of our reality. Like, here's our reality, but then we also see Christ, Genesis 3.15, as you highlighted. And then we come to Ecclesiastes, and Solomon is reflecting on his life, and very much so saying, okay, let's look at this without God, which obviously, as Christian people, we really can't, I mean, we're a little bit biased in that. Like, of course, we can say, oh, I'm going to envision this without God. Well, we can't, because we have Christ. But it does present a, a, a good picture that leads us to law gospel preaching, no doubt, of what is this like without God? And that's why, at, in verse 18, before we get to today, for much wisdom is much much vexation, for he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So I kind of, mm. I, I see that there's a there's a lament here. There's definitely a, a prayerful way that Solomon is speaking. So any thoughts on that or other thoughts you have before we dig into our text? Yeah, verse 18 uh, really uh, creates this problem uh, that sometimes we just think too much. And, and sometimes uh, we just know too much. You know, uh, I, I don't know if it's a term or it's just mine. But sometimes I overthink uh, that we, we've created so much knowledge that then or, or we've created so many things we think we need to consider that we make life more difficult. That is a good point, too. Now, uh, you know, so I would, well, here's the deal then. I, tonight, I just won't think about anything. I'm just going to have that as a rule tonight. I think that I'm going to, I'm going to follow the Lord's commands. I'm going to follow what you said. I'm just not going to think. I don't know if that's going to work very well in my house, but um, well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> anyway, so, so, Pastor, let's begin our time. We are in chapter two of Ecclesiastes, and it begins, the title of it is Vanity of Self-Indulgence. And so it's going to be a fascinating ride. Reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Ecclesiastes chapter two. So we'll begin the first eight verses. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart, excuse me, still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during these few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. 
I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who had been born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. Now, I want to begin with a uh, kind of a caution. There's a few words in here, specifically of slaves, concubines, that we can dig into, but I want to make sure we get the main theme of this correct, because we can get lost in the weeds really quick when we look at those few words. It can kind of make our, make our, uh, uh, make our ears kind of perk up a little bit. But what is the main point? Those first eight verses, kind of a main theme or main thought. So what do you think, Pastor? I think the main point here is uh, just in verse one, pleasure. And uh, really, the, the almost the backwards wisdom that he says this in verse 1, I'm going to test myself with pleasure. Uh, it's as if he's launching a research project uh, that he's going to try to test himself and see, well, what is the good of this? And, uh, you know, to overthink this and the, in, in all of his great wisdom to say, well, let's let's record the results of all of this, and then he just says, "Go enjoy yourself, and, and just go crazy, right?" And this is uh, almost the um, uh, you know the attitude that some people have today of the the YOLO, the you only live once. And he says, "So what's going to happen when I just say, go for it, just have fun?" And, and so he he says, "This is what's going to turn out to be vanity." Uh, and in verse two, he says. I, I tried to analyze laughter, and I thought it's, it's mad. And I tried to analyze pleasure. He says, what good is this? Because he's trying to analyze emotions and, and just trying to say, okay, well, how do we quantify or, or how do we find out what are, what's the net result of laughter? That's just, you know, it's overthink. It's, it's silly. It, and that's what he's trying to do is to say, what's the point of all of laughing? Well, you don't do that. It's like trying to explain a joke. Um, it never works when you have to explain it. Um, and so it's <laughs> so good. Uh, uh, yeah. You get more silence when you start explaining jokes, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, Oh my goodness. So anyways, I, I digress. Go ahead. Keep going. That's okay. See, this joke is funny because anyway, um, <laughs> so in, in verse three, and he goes on to say, you know, so I thought, let's just drink it up. I thought to cheer my body with wine and, and uh, still trying to be wise about it. And, and then how, how drunk can I get? It's almost what he's saying. How, how much can I still hold on to and just go crazy but still be wise? And, and is this any good? And uh, here he, you know, is this any good under heaven uh, mm. for a person just to, to indulge in wine? Now, again, this is not about the kind of getting lost in the small points. Uh, certainly, throughout Scripture, God shows that uh, to drink wine, to have different alcoholic beverages, is allowable. And even in some points, it is given as a blessing. Uh, but Scripture is also very clear that drunkenness is to be avoided, that drunkenness is a sin. And I believe the point is because of you lose self-control, one of the fruits of the Spirit. Um, but so the, his first thing is to say, I, thought, I just thought, let's go have parties, right? And, and then 
uh, in verse four, he goes on to say, let's make great works. Let's build houses and plant vineyards. Let's buy things. Let's make gardens and parks. And uh, he's just seeing himself, you know, create a, a kingdom of pleasure, uh, a, a magic kingdom, if you will. <laughs> um, but a, mm. a place of just having all of this pleasure. Uh, and, and, you know, so he winds up building all of these things and then he has to uh, have staff, have personnel and slaves. And, and then he in, greatly increases his herds and flocks, his wealth. And, and for them, uh, you know, their culture, the animals were as much an asset as silver and gold. Mm. And then in, you know, verse eight, he goes on to say, and I gathered the silver and gold, the treasures, and I gathered uh, entertainers, singers, and I gathered the concubines for um, the for the, the pleasures of the flesh, for sexual pleasure. And uh, he just, he, you know, so at this point up through verse eight, he's just said, I just went wild and I did everything. And I had all the money because he's Solomon, uh, had all the money to do this. And I had all the authority to do this because he's King Solomon. And he just went wild. And you start to get a hint that at some point, in, in, at least as I was reading, that it gets out of control because he's building and then he has to staff it with slaves, and it just gets bigger and bigger, and he has it all. And that's where we get up through verse 8. And he definitely gets to the point where it affirms verse 18, where it's not only do I know more stuff uh, that increases my sorrow, but also when I have more stuff that I, increases my sorrow. He doesn't quite say that yet, but you can <laughs> tell he's building the argument. And I like how you said it. It was like a pleasure research project. Okay, all right, so I'm going to laugh. I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to have a little bit of wine. Then I'm going to build this, and I'm going to build that. And that at, the, at each junction, I'm going to evaluate my emotions, which we know that emotions are obviously a gift from God, but if we evaluate them too much, all of a sudden you just see the worthlessness of, of everything. Even a laughter can be something you're like, well, that wasn't sincere. Was that sincere? I don't know. I don't know. Was that how low sincere? I'm not sure. <laughs> and then, you know, is this is this building, was that made with true artistry? Was that, you know, and, and he goes through the pools and he plants the gardens and he has all the possessions. And I like how one commentary put it. He basically is trying to make a paradise on earth. And yeah. we know, and we know as Christians, there is no paradise on earth. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect family. There's no perfect city. Um, even though it's great in the winter, Florida isn't perfect. Even though it's great in the summer, Minnesota's not perfect. All of it is that. <laughs> and when we try to make paradise, we end up just causing more problems. That's uh, the pleasure research project. That's, that's my tagline from what you were saying. Any any thoughts on verses one through eight? Well, yeah, that. It's not wrong, obviously, to enjoy some of the blessings of life that God has given us this world. And he's, we get to see, you know, throughout how he talks about how he cares for and blesses uh, the holdings of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, of how he shows that he cares for and uh, blessed the, the rule of David and Solomon, and uh, that he gives us things, you know, and we would even pray in the Lord's Prayer to give us those things that are necessary for our daily life, our daily bread. And, and Martin Luther would explain that to say, you know, even those things that would bring us joy, that's part of our daily bread. So, you know, if it is to, to buy a boat or to buy a beach house down here in Florida, that may 
bring us some joy. If it is to go to one of the parks in Orlando, that may bring us some joy. But is, is that the pursuit of life? Uh, and, and that's where, uh, you know, we kind of go off the rails because uh, if that's the whole pursuit of life is just to seek pleasure, then we're constantly buying. We're constantly looking for a new high in a shopping spree. Uh, we're, we're constantly looking for new pleasures of the flesh. And, and uh, you know, Solomon is notorious for his concubines and his wives. Uh, you know, that uh, scripture would say in First Kings, you know, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Or, or maybe it's the other way around. I get it confused. No, you're right. Uh, well, it's <laughs> and, 300 and, concubines, 700 wives. Yeah. Yeah, it's outrageous. And, and uh, every time we read the, that scripture, we say, what was he thinking? Um, now, in his world, that was to pursue political uh, you know, alliances or whatever. But he's also talking here in Ecclesiastes. He's just pursuing the pleasures of, of life and the, the pleasures of the flesh. Um, but I did think it was interesting that... Um, Dr. Bohagen's commentary uh, referred us back to even Deuteronomy before they had a king. And God is telling the Israelites what it's going to be like when they do get a king, because they're going to want one. And so what's it going to be like? And in verse 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 17 of Deuteronomy, uh, the Lord says, And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Uh, and so, you know, uh, here in Solomon, or in Ecclesiastes 2, he's saying, and I did, that's what I did. You know, so, you know, kind of shame, shame Solomon uh, with all of his wives and concubines. And, you know, uh, we would pull the same shame upon us if we're only look, looking for pleasure to, to give us any meaning uh, of life. And, and so this pleasure eventually becomes an idolatry, you know, that we've made the pleasure of me uh, turn out to be my God. And, and if you, if you like marking in your Bibles, go through those eight verses and just see how many times he says, I did this for myself. Mm -hmm. I did this mm -hmm. for myself. And all of these things uh, ah. are, are for him. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, this whole chapter, he says the word I 31 times, and it just seems to kind of drive it home that, you know, what he's explaining is when he was just focused on on serving the me. Yeah. That is crazy. And I, I, I tell you what, I totally didn't over didn't didn't see that very much. But, yeah, you look at it and if you just look at this chapter, you see the eye pop out all the time. He is speaking about himself, reflecting, of course, but making us realize that when he's writing this, yeah, he has taken God out of the equation, and he has brought himself into the equation as basically a God himself. So it's a first commandment issue. It's also yeah. affirmed quite a bit by Jesus. And, you know, this is one of the, the beauties of when we look at scripture is, okay, was this affirmed by Jesus or was it not? Not to say that's the end of the discussion, but, um, but definitely in Matthew 6, he speaks about this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth um, where mm -hmm. moth and rust destroy. You can see, you can almost see 
uh, Solomon looking at the garden with its weeds and looking at the, the concubines who are completely unhappy and the, and the slaves who are just not, not happy to be there either and all this stuff. And he's realizing there's a lot of moth and rust in this. And I have tried to serve two masters and I've, I've, uh, I'll ha- I hated one. I love the other. And none of it came to anything because I tried to serve God and money. All of that he is putting into the basket and you can tell he's praying and he's repenting. And here we are today. So uh, any last thoughts before we move on to the next few verses? No, I think we can we can go on. All right. Uh, 9 through 11. We have a few minutes before our break, and I want to touch on this for sure before that. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart. Found my found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, was all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So he reflects even more on the eyes. Uh, what is he telling us in these in these verses, Pastor? <laughs> his first four words: "I became great." Uh, you can see that uh, either in pride or or in pride also mixed with his you know his own shame that he's saying I was awesome this this was the height of everything and and yet maybe he's you know he's also still trying to say that's not going to turn out to be good uh, to be this kind of great and, you know I became great and uh, surpassed all who were before me you know I, there was no one better than me. It's interesting, though, that he did this here, and I think in another place he does it, where he says, in Jerusalem. It's almost like he knows he's kind of, uh, in some worldly way, or, you know, in, in terms of the whole world, uh, you know, here's the big fish in a little pond, maybe, uh, that, mm-hmm. you know, at first he was the greatest in a small area. And, you know, uh, you look at the Old Testament, and Israel was not the greatest of, the, of all the nations. Um, and, but eventually he's, his wealth and his fame and his wisdom does draw the attention of all the other nations. Uh, but here he says, you know, I was great. It was, I was just awesome. And, you know, my wisdom was with me. And, uh, but then he says in verse 10, whatever I wanted, I didn't keep from me. I didn't stop. I, I got it. I bought it. I took it. I made it mine. You know, whatever my heart found pleasure uh, I, it was it was here for me, and I made it mine. I kept my heart from no pleasure, he says. Mm. And, and so, you know, he just didn't hold back. And and the amazing thing is, uh, which sounds like, you know, we, we always love to complain about work. Uh, in verse 10, he says, and my heart found pleasure in my toil. And, and that was the reward, that he feels some sort of reward of pleasure in some of the work he's trying to do. Uh, but, but sometimes also that, that pleasure is um, temporary to say, look at all I've done. Right. Uh, this is, mm-hmm. you go on a, if, if you ever, you know, have the, the spare cash to go on a shopping for shopping spree, you know, you come back and you go, look at all that I bought. You know, <laughs> it's like a conquest. Uh, you know, yeah. you went out hunting and, and you came home with shopping bags. Um, but this is also kind of the way, uh, you know, Christmas is, you know, there's, I, I found joy in having all of these things. Uh, and, but if Christmas is without Christ, 
it's just a bunch of little gifts, right? Um, it, if, if all we're saying is, what can I get for myself on Christmas? Um, that, that sounds awfully childish, right? Um, it sounds like we haven't learned uh, why we do this, you know? And so he's looking at how it, it's fun to get all these things, uh, but then it, it doesn't last, um, because in, right there in the verse 11, he says, then I saw how hard I had to work for all this and all the toil I expended in doing it. And it was a vanity. Uh, and this is an amazing phrase in Ecclesiastes, a striving after wind. Uh, what, what a, an empty effort that sounds like, you know, with no results. You're, you're never going to catch the wind. Uh, it's like having a, a false hope or an empty dream, and yet you, you can't let it go. And, and yet you'll never catch that dream or that goal that you set for yourself. Yeah. I want to touch more on that on the other side of our break, Pastor, because I do okay. think it's important for us to look at, because it's a very common theme throughout, striving after the wind. But right now we need to take our break. We are studying Ecclesiastes chapter 2 with Pastor Kevin Yoakum, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Ecclesiastes chapter 3 with Pastor Kevin Yoakum of Christ the King Lutheran Church in Riverview, Florida. And Pastor, you really highlighted something that I wanted to highlight as well, which I think Ecclesiastes really captures today, is this understanding of striving after wind. And that is a, an important one. And you 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 brought it up um, slightly, and I saw... I saw um, um, you, I mean, you captured it beautifully, but I wanted to expand on it a little bit too. Is you can't capture the wind. You can kind of you can use it for your good pleasure, like on a sail or a, a, a um, oh shoot, what am I thinking of uh, the wind? Uh, the windmills. Uh, you drive through Iowa or Missouri, you have all these windmills, huge ones. So, so you capture, you kind of use it, but you can never capture it. You can't put it into like a box. You can't hide it there. But yet. And he uses that to kind of show all of our pursuits are like that, even though we can never get there. So what does that tell us about how we are as human beings and the reality of the world? Uh, I, I think uh, sometimes we just uh, are focused on the wrong thing and, and we don't realize it. Uh, it's almost like uh, we're believing a lie. You know, if you want to go back to Eden again. Uh, you know, it's like we've believed that this piece of fruit will make us wise, 
and it will be desirable and that it'll it'll put us on par with God and then nothing wrong will ever happen. You know, that what a lie that that it was in Genesis three. And it's like that uh we, we take that idea into some of the things that we might get caught up in pursuing in this life, that there's going to be some um everlasting value in something that we might pursue, uh, and it really turns out to be just empty, uh, you know, from the bottom to the top. Just, it turned out to be nothing. Another common word that he uses is under the sun. And yeah. and that's a that's an important piece, too, is the twine under the sun. Any thoughts on that, on that line and what that means? It, it is talking about a life without God talking about a life that you only see here on earth and it it either doesn't consider or doesn't comprehend a life uh considering the things above the things of god and of eternity or the you know the the everlasting values but it's only looking at uh the the material world and, and just the life here on this on this earth with dirt and what can i do with it and, and the material assets i have uh, rather than uh, looking at, you know, what what do I have in a spiritual life? Or what do I have in a life uh, given me by God? And so that under the sun um, really just says this is a, a, a life without our Lord, without God. And, and in English, we get to make a little bit of, of fun with this and as we teach because there's life under the sun, S-U-N, and then in English we can say, but we'd rather have life under the sun, S-O-N, Jesus Christ our Lord. And uh, I don't know if that carries through in any other language, but uh, we get that preaching benefit from this, uh, from our <laughs> language, uh, that, you know, under the, uh, under the sun, it's empty. Uh, under just this material life, it, it, it's not enough. It, it won't bring us anything because we're trying to ignore that we are actually eternal creatures. Uh, you know, that we are, or not eternal, but, you know, we are, are spiritual creatures as well. And, and that we have a life given us that's more than just um, what paychecks can I get and what can I get from it and what uh, pursuits can I have in this life? Uh, because God wants us to see a life under the sun of Jesus Christ, which is uh, in some ways so much simpler and in some ways so much better, you know, to say, uh, hey, don't just worry about, you know, the trees and the streams, or don't just worry about uh, the, the paycheck and what it can acquire, but see life higher than our earthly son, see life under the son of God himself. And I also heard it, it said that here he's speaking about life under the sun, but as Christians, we we focus our lives above the sun. So to focus on the heavenly things is another connection oh, yeah. that I saw. So I like, we could have a tagline for this whole thing that, you know, without the Lord is under the sun, but in Christ we are under the sun and above the sun and above with the sun or something along those lines. I don't know. If any of your listeners have a tagline for this, uh, give it to us because there's a lot we can use with this because it is without the Lord, it's toil under the sun. It is striving after the wind. But in Christ, you know, we are under the sun, S-O-N, um, for sure. So that is that is a great connection. Pastor, I want to 
I want to move forward in these next verses, and I want to ask you a pastoral question because it's going to be important because we can read this and we can get very um, a case of the Debbie Downers. Um, <laughs> as we look at all this, it can be, can become very frustrating. So I want to be able to ask you a pastoral question, kind of a what if. So put that under your, uh, under your hat and, and be ready. So I'll, I'll read here 12 through 17. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do? What can man, the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done? Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. So he he kind of comes back. So he's looking at all the pleasure. He comes back and almost does a review of everything once again. So I want to start here. I'm not going to ask the pastoral question yet, so just be ready for that. Okay. But here, living wisely, he starts to looking at all of that, and he unpacks a lot of things here. Where do you want to start? Oh, I, I think it's interesting that he says, well, what's the difference between being wise and being foolish? And, and certainly uh, in this life under the sun, there's going to be some difference. Uh, a, a wise person may find that he has more resources to work with. A foolish person, person may, may squander their resources. You know, a wise person may find that he makes more connections with other people, and a, a foolish person may offend others. Or no one wants to be around someone who's just going to, you know, kind of uh, suck them dry <laughs> and their resources. Mm-hmm. And so there is some wisdom in that. And um, uh, my wife likes to say, or, or she said it at least once, and I keep repeating her, you know, life <laughs> just goes better when you follow the rules. Right. You know, and in so many ways, uh, why buck the system and why be foolish but the, the rules are, you know, the, the, the way of life is often put before us as being, this is a good way to get through life. You know, follow these rules, balance your checkbook, uh, you know, don't, you know, eat in moderation, uh, keep your assets diversified and balanced. You know, all of those simple rules that kind of help life to go, uh, you know, to lay a good foundation for this life. But, but then he says, uh, but whether you're wise or foolish, you, you wind up in the same place. Right. You know, the same thing happens to you. And uh, uh, this is one thing I've noticed is that whether you're wise or foolish, you, may, you might have the same health problems. But eventually that's driving us to verse 16 where he says they both die. Um, you know, and uh, it, it's interesting. He hints at that word death. He says the same thing happens. Uh, or you wind up in, with the same events. But finally, he says the word die. You know, it's as if he's been avoiding the death word uh, until mm-hmm. verse 16. Uh, but he says, whether, whether you're wise or a fool, you're still going to die. And you just can't get around that. And, and, and so he and says, that, so what's the point of any of this? And that and that really is a a profound insight, too, because think about how long 
it takes for all of us to even say that word death. And even for us pastors who are around death all the time, that it can be a very difficult discussion to have with a loved one or even yourself when that day comes where you'll say, I think I'm going to die. And that's not something we want to talk about. It's a word we don't like saying. Um, sometimes we'll, we'll just kind of put a, um, put a, a nicer word there, you know, a dirt nap or something along those lines. We just don't want to say that <laughs> word. And you can tell he's doing that same thing here where he's like, well, we all know what the ending is. And then he brings it out full bore how the wise died just like the fool. And at that point, it is almost like there's nothing left. And verse 17 is, I would say something that I, that we all feel, I want to say in one sense, we've dealt with it as pastors. So I hated life because it is all vanity. Now, pastor, this is where the pastoral com question comes in. I'm sure you have, I know I have had situations where somebody is in just deep despair. Maybe it's per maybe it's like long lasting or it's short. They're like, what's the point? And they get to this point where they see death. They realize what is the point? And so they'll say something like, so I hate life. And it isn't necessarily a suicidal situation, but they see that. And what would be your guidance? Because we, we need to get there, I think. We need, we need some gospel at this point of this text. So, Pastor, how would you encourage and how would you proclaim the truth of who we are, um, I'd say, under the sun, S-O-N, as this person says, I hated life? Right. Yeah, and I, I think we all got a taste of it. Every one of us, probably last year when we were all locked down, and, and we were all supposed to be inside and not breathe on each other. And everybody in the house had to separate, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and and if you were locked down, uh, if you were stuck inside for any great amount of time, it started making you stir crazy. You know, there was just absolutely nothing to do except, you know, watch TV. And it, the amazing thing is, once the lockdown started, then what was the main show on Netflix? The Tiger King. Of all shows, <laughs> crazy people with tigers, and they're they're all fighting against each other. Uh, not tiger sports, but you know, it's just this weird, mad show. And you're like, what's the point of this? And I'm locked down in this house, and where, what is, what's the point? What are we, what's going to happen next? And I can see that, like you said, in someone who's depressed, uh, that that they may be saying, uh, I, I don't know why I need to keep living. I don't know what, why I am living. And, and um, or maybe not just depressed, but just overrun with life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, but what you said is exactly how, well, how do I say something that gets them to see life in Christ? And it gives it so much more. Um, and I think one thing is that it takes it out of me. Uh, because when I'm when I'm depressed and I felt those emotions and those thoughts, uh, I'm thinking about well, what good am I to me, and or what good am I to anybody else, and, and, or what benefit, what work, what I, what am am I unable, am I incapable, am I worthless, uh, and and so what we see in Christ is something else altogether. You know, in Christ, we see some someone who has said, I will give, you know, my life for you. You know, we would say, you know, who has purchased us and redeemed us, not even with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood. So there was some reason God wanted to take us, even 
in our lowliest, even in our most greedy, pleasure-seeking selfishness, or in our hopelessness. And he said, I'll save that person. I'll let my son Jesus die so that that person can have an enduring life, a, a life uh, you know, to the full, have it abundantly. And, and uh, yeah, you, I don't know exactly what words I would say, but you would want to help someone in that depression or in that anxiety or, you know, to say there is something beyond the equation that's running through my head about me and what does it all add up to? That there's something that God says that it adds up to something in Christ, that because of Christ, he has taken what was considered uh, foolish or useless in this world and has given it the value of the very life of the Son of God and has said it, it has an eternity uh, of joy beyond this life of sorrow or this life of perceived sorrow. Does that make any sense? That is, no, it makes total sense. Absolutely. Because what, first of all, it's kind of an unfair question because the reality is each situation would be different. Um, but it also, you said it perfectly, is that, you know, that the silver and gold that we try to accumulate is, is you know, we, what do I get out of this? No, the question is, what does God give to me in this? And and he gave us everything in Christ. And that's that's our identity. That's our hope. That is um, that is everything. And so it really is goes back to identity. Like you said, it goes back to a giving God as opposed to what do I get out of this type of situation that we deal with every single day. And here it is so evident, the brokenness in the world, how a greater thing, like you pointed us to, to know that our Lord became broken for us. So let's, yeah. let's keep going. This is a little bit kind of like, oh, what else are we going to hear? I see more vanity <laughs> coming, but we'll get through it because I love how he ends it in verse 24 through 26. But now we'll just go 18 through 23. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will master all of all for which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Now, Pastor, I felt like I could talk about these verses for the next hour, for another hour, because there's so much <laughs> packed in there. And I'll use this quick analogy. is I've, I've sat with people that said, you know, I work so hard to put things into my savings account, and now I'm not sure that when I pass that my family or others will use it the way I want them to. And I thought that was definitely an Ecclesiastes moment. And I don't really know. I mean, I didn't have good advice for that individual because I didn't really know what to say. But that just affirms exactly what's being said here. And there's many other points being made. What do you want to highlight? Uh, the, the first thing uh, I thought uh, reading some of this is I, I've had this idea that I've always thought Ecclesiastes would be great to read 
you know, like when finishing high school. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, good point. Uh, yeah. You know, to take a look at life because, uh, you know, there's this teenager angst, and maybe that's a stereotype, uh, but there's this angst and this uh, malaise that can sometimes come on at the beginning of life, trying to say, what's the point of anything that I might do? Uh, and, and trying to say, you know, why am I doing this little silly task? Uh, you know, and it could go from, you know, go out and mow the lawn. And the, the teenage response is, why? It's just going to grow again. <laughs> or, <laughs> That's true. Uh, it, or the, you know, the other is, you know, they, they're trying to do their schoolwork and they just cannot figure why there's any redeeming value in evaluating a Shakespearean sonnet. Uh, and I don't blame them for that. You know, I'm trying to figure right. out, you know, what is the point of all of this work? Um, but, and here is this old man, uh, Solomon, saying, you know what? I've done a lot of work. And I agree. At the end of life, you say, what was the point of all this? You know, and all of this that I've mustered, all of these uh, great uh, properties that I've built or bought, uh, all of these gardens and pools and uh, all of this stuff, I'm going to give it away. And I don't know if even my own son is going to be any good for it. You know, and he's looking right. possibly at, you know, Rehoboam. Uh, and uh, the scripture tells us that he... I made a mess of it all. Uh, you know, Solomon has this greatest high point of, of the kingdom of Israel, and Rehoboam creates a civil war and splits it in two. Um, you know, so he, he broke God's king or his, his dad's kingdom, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, yeah, Solomon would be saying, I can kind of see this coming, and it's just going to be useless. It's vanity. You know, and so what do I do with this? Uh, I've done all this work, and what's the everlasting point of it? Well, to me, there's no point. I'm going to die. As, you know, that I've done this work for me, then that's just trying to say, at the end of life, what am I left with? Well, uh, on this earthly life, under this sun, you're left with nothing. Uh, dirt nap. I've never heard that referred to that as you know like that before. You know, but to, to take it another way, you know, if I'm saying what is mine, 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 uh, to, you know, what have I done for others, or what can my goods do for others? How can I see what what God has given me can now become a gift to someone else, and rather mm -hmm. than say. You know, it's my stuff and my son's going to break it. <laughs> uh, he can say, it's God's stuff, and now I'm mm -hmm. going to let someone else take care of it because uh, I won't be here anymore. And I don't have to have this lasting uh, uh, legacy of stuff. Um, there, there was this book uh, that was written in the 70s. I had to read it in uh, Intro to Philosophy, and it was called The Denial of Death. Uh, by uh, by Becker, anyway. Um, mm -hmm. And in it, he mm -hmm. was saying that hu humans can't figure out what to do with death. And it sounds like we can't. Uh, and he said, so we create these illusions to deal with death, to give us the illusion of that we're going to keep going. And, and one of the illusions that we have might be that uh, we say, I'll live on in my family, that somehow my, my children... Uh, will be an everlasting me, you know, that I'll, that I'll live on in their memory or I've instilled some sort of uh, value in them so that somehow that makes me keep lasting beyond death. 
And then the other, another illusion was this illusion of uh, your assets, your kingdom that you can build. And then I could, if I can build a bigger tower, you know, mm. Babylon, uh, if I, or Babel, if I can Babel, you know, yeah. build an, an everlasting incorporation uh, and, and name it after me, then maybe that will mean that I have some everlasting value even after I die. And then the final one that I remember is he said, or we have this religious lie of everlasting life to mm. say that because because of a, a God that might be out there, that we lie to ourselves and say, well, then our, our life will just be taken to some afterlife. And, you know, he totally uh, had no uh, value for that, this, uh, this person who wrote the book. Uh, and then I had to, you know, it was on my final. I had to say, how? what are the lies that Ernst Becker says that we all have? And <laughs> I had to say, well, he says we all lie to ourselves religiously and in a spiritual way. But I, And I put it at the bottom, if that's the case, then I'm a religious liar. <laughs> uh, Pastor, we have to move on to get to the end. But I love sure. those insights because that is um, what we go through. And then what, so what's the hope? And we kind of get it, we get a glimpse of it right here at the end of chapter two. Solomon writes, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or have, or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Now, Pastor, we have about two minutes left in our time, so I ask you this. He brings it back together, and he brings God into the equation, finally, um, which I'm glad he took his time, but he does bring it here. And what is he telling us about eat, drink, and be merry, if you will? Oh, he, he says, you know, this is just keep life simple. And he says, there's, there's nothing better for us than to just live a, a simple life. You know, eat your food, drink your drink, and find enjoyment in what you have to do. You know, and this is kind of a, a just find your blessings in the simple life. And it kind of brings us back to Genesis 1 and 2. You know, he's given us this world. He's given us uh, this garden to tend to, this world that we have to work in. He's given us our family to have. And so just find enjoyment in it. And this is from the hand of God, he says. Um, and it, it, it's funny that it kind of ends. He, uh, verse 26 can be a little perplexing. Um, but 25 says, you can't have any enjoyment apart from God. Not really. And then in, in 26, it's like uh, a bit of a confusing uh, paragraph for some or sentence. Mm -hmm. You know, to, to the one who pleases God, and let's see that as a believer, to the one who has faith in God, who, who lives according, you know, who lives under God's promises in Christ, uh, we get wisdom and we get knowledge and we get joy uh, in, in this life. And even joy in saying, I know I'll die, but I've got a Savior, uh, you know, uh, but to the sinner, and we can see that as being the one who doesn't know God according to his promises in Christ. And to an unbeliever who lives only in his sins, who lives only, he, then we're just back to toil. And, and, uh, and if you're just only going to say, well, what's the purpose of all my toil? He says there's not really much of a purpose to that. 
<laughs> you're just uh, giving blessings to those who are who are the believers. And if you don't believe in Christ, then you don't really have any enjoyment under God, under the Son, under the things above. And it's that last part of verse 26 that he says, and that's crazy, and that's the vanity, and that's the striving after wind. Um, you know, so he's really, verse 26 says, well, to believe in God and to live in his promises, to believe in Jesus Christ, there's the wisdom and knowledge and joy. But uh, without that, then you're just, you're just working for, you know, pushing stuff around and trying to keep life going. And it, as it you said, empty. Yeah. As you said, it is crazy. It is crazy. But we live under the sun, S-O-N. Pastor Kevin Yolkum of Christ the King Lutheran Church in Riverview, Florida, giving us God's strong word of wisdom from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Pastor Yolkum, thank you for the gifts. Oh, you're very welcome. Saints of our Lord Solomon makes it clear, self-indulgence, possessions, desire, all of it is vanity. But we do have the Lord. Without God, there's no point. But we do have the Lord, your salvation, the forgiveness, all of that is yours in Christ. So eat, drink, and be merry, for all of it is in the Lord's hands. I'm your, I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner of Messiah Lutheran Church. Thank you for joining us.